Matthew, why don't you grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 12 as we continue our study. If you weren't with us on Sunday, we um, covered some good stuff and got through some more of this chapter. Uh, and we left off right around verse 33. So if you missed that section, you'll wanna catch up with us. Uh, by the way, uh, I'd like to give a little shout out to the watch party in Lindale, Lindale Texas this evening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, the reason I, I bring them up is my, my wife and some of the Athey Creek ladies went down to Texas today uh, and they stopped in at one of the watch party homes and here's a little pic of the gang there as they were just hanging out this afternoon. Uh, so there's the watch, Texas watch party in Lindale. <laughs> Isn't that great? Good bunch of people. Debbie there, my wife's in the middle of the picture uh, and uh, some of the other gals from Athey. But uh, what a cool group over there. Uh, Deb said it was so fun having fellowship with Athey Creekers down in, in Lindale. So God bless you guys down there. Um, let's get to it. Matthew chapter 12. As we looked at what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or the unpardonable sin, as we might call it, we looked at that on Sunday and we saw how the work of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. He will glorify me. He will testify of me, John 14, John 16, uh, and even John 15 uh, point to that truth that, that the Holy Spirit is, is to point and glorify Jesus uh, and it does the work of bringing you to uh, the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So if you speak against the work of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, you're saying no to Jesus uh, because that's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. When he is with you, he's tapping you on the shoulder. And the, that's the unpardonable sin. So all manner of sin is forgiven, we learned last Sunday. Even, even Jesus said that, all manner, verse 30, 31, all manner of sin is, and even blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So now that's one sin you don't wanna commit. Uh, and if you're thinking, oh, I'm worried I committed that sin. Well, you need to listen to Sunday's teaching <laughs> because you probably haven't yet. But if you're wondering, you wanna make sure you don't uh, because it is the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Now, all that to say, Jesus continues this discussion. It's not completely leaving that topic uh, when we pick it up here in verse 33. It says in verse 33, and um, it says, either make the, good, the tree good and its, his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generations of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So he goes back to the Pharisees. This is what brought up this unpardonable sin to begin with, um, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, blaspheming, speaking against what the work of the Spirit is. Now, in their case, it's even in some ways a little more profound than what, what we might apply it to our lives. In fact, I've heard some commentators say this level of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is impossible for you and me because Jesus is not standing right in front of us right now. Uh, but they were, they were looking at Jesus face to face saying, you are not the Messiah, and thereby committing a more egregious version of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The problem though I have with that is the next part of this chapter, I think we might even be more guilty maybe than the Pharisees of that day 
if we speak against Jesus or against the spirit pointing us to Jesus. And I'll show you why that is. So I'm not sure I agree with all those commentators. Some taters are more common than others. Uh, but uh, those commentators that say, uh, you know, that this is, uh, you can't commit this level of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I really agree with that. Um, but the reason they would say that is because these are the Pharisees who are seeing the miracles of Jesus and denying that he's the Messiah. So it is a, an egregious version. And that's what brought the topic up to begin with. Jesus had just healed uh, in verse uh, 22, the, the blind, dumb, demon-possessed guy. Uh, and, uh, and they still wouldn't believe. But some people, some of the people said, is not this the son of David? They believed that he was the Messiah. So this idea of blasphemy um, is, is why Jesus is saying, you're either a good tree or you're a bad tree. And if you've blasphemed, speaking against, um, and, and he even calls them out, you know, calling them a generation of vipers. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's, he's saying either make the tree good and it's fruit good or else the tree corrupt and it's fruit corrupt. This is a theme we studied back in Matthew ch chapter seven. Do you recall uh, where Jesus started out Matthew 17, judge not lest you be judged? And people say that now, don't judge, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. The Bible says judge not, you know, and, and you're right. The Bible doesn't say, you know, that we're supposed to be judgmental to condemnation. But as it turns out, in the same exact chapter, Jesus said, but you are supposed to be judging the fruit of a person's life. Um, and in the same chapter, so while he says judge not, and so people use that as an overarching, you should never judge anything. Man, we judge all the time, which doctor you're gonna use, which pizza you're gonna order, uh, you know, like, like you judge uh, medicine you're gonna take or not take, you, you, know, you have, you know, biases about which highway you're gonna drive on. Like, like, it's amazing how many judgments we make all the time. So the idea is being judgmental to con condemnation, condemning someone to uh, an attitude of judgment. That's, that's wrong. But in the same chapter, in chapter seven, Jesus started talking about every good tree brings forth good fruit and every corrupt tree brings forth, forth corrupt tree. And it says, you'll know them by their fruits. In other words, you're supposed to judge their fruit. That's exactly what Jesus is doing now. Fast forward, Matthew chapter 12, when he says, you know, a good tree or a bad tree and he says, you guys are bad trees. He's judging them. Uh, and, um, and it's because of their own, uh, you know, blasphemy. Now this word blasphemy, uh, we didn't really dive into the word that much on Sunday, but, um, or Saturday, but blasphemy, the Greek word uh, is that word blasphemia, which means to slander, um, detraction, uh, to speak uh, injurious uh, to another's good, good name. But the second definition uh, that's in the Greek definition um, is, is the one that's really most operative here, to speak against. So if you're speaking against the, the Holy Spirit, that's the unpardonable sin. Isn't it interesting that Jesus even said, you can speak blasphemy even against the Son of Man, even that'll be forgiven. And you might say, what's the difference between, I mean, forgiving you for blaspheming Jesus versus forgiving you blaspheming the, the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that is supposed to bring you to salvation. And if you speak against that work, you won't be able to be saved by Jesus, who's the Messiah who died on the cross for, your sins of the, for the sins of the world. So by this time, these guys have committed blasphemy by speaking against Jesus, quite literally. And that's what he's talking about here. Um, and so here Jesus is saying, you're gonna know them by their fruits. And then he looks at these guys and says, you guys are a generation of vipers. <laughs> this is Jesus. Some people say, well, that's not very nice. 
Um, sometimes I think people think Jesus was Mr. Rogers going around, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, and Mr. Sweet, kind and all that. And he was. People marveled at his gracious words. So there's no question Jesus had a demeanor that was, um, people loved being around him. No question. In fact, it was, it was, it was spoken of him as uh, being anointed with the oil of gladness. Um, and so Jesus was not the sour, dour, depressing guy you see in some of the movies about Jesus. But, but at the same time, Jesus had a fiery side. Um, but I gotta say, it was a righteous fiery side. Uh, don't forget that about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, the prophecies of the um, exalted Jesus, we see him in several pictures in the Old Testament and Ezekiel, along with the New Testament and the book of Revelation in his exalted form. He always has these ires that are full of flames of fire. And the question is, what kind of flames are they? Are the kind of flames that warm your heart? You're like, oh, that's my savior, Jesus. Or are they flames of wrath and destruction? The question would be answered based on what do you do about Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, then Jesus is this warm, um, inviting, um, you know, accepting, forgiving um, God. But if you're rejecting Jesus Christ, don't be shocked when that fiery side comes out like it is with these Pharisees. Oh, you generations of vipers. How can you being evil speak good things? Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So far, what we've seen these Pharisees speaking is how can we get him? You know, uh, earlier in this chapter, after Jesus, you know, healed the man with the withered hand there in um, Capernaum, uh, it says in verse 14, then the Pharisees went out and held counsel how they might destroy him. Um, so Jesus is saying, no wonder you're saying horrible things and doing horrible things. You're a brood of vipers, a uh, generation of vipers, and out of the abundance of the, the uh, heart, the mouth speaks. Um, now, this is something that I think is important and part of the theme of the last part of, the, of this chapter. And that is Jesus is calling them out very boldly with great power and with a great authority. And I think there's a place for that calling those that are a brood of vipers, those that would hurt others, uh, especially spiritual leaders that would hurt others. There's a place for calling out false teaching or even evil sort of uh, teaching. And, and you know what's interesting about this? Uh, John the Baptist, if you recall, he actually called uh, these Pharisees the same thing. It's almost like Jesus borrowed this terminology uh, that you're a, a generation of vipers. Um, you know, and uh, I, th I think John the Baptist had a powerful ministry that way too. And from time to time, I get, you know, notes from people, letters from people, Brett, you shouldn't be so brutal sometimes. Um, and then I get other notes from people saying, you need to be more brutal. Uh, so it's like, you can't please anybody. Well, that's the only one I wanna please, honestly, is the Lord. And as it turns out, a good pastor will warn and watch as an under shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who was warning off the vipers, uh, you know, and, and, and calling them out for what they were. A good under shepherd is gonna also watch and warn uh, the flock. And that's part of uh, what we need to do and be. Um, and, and really, you know, that, that's, that's one of the problems uh, I think that we're seeing in the church today. We've, we've become so tamed as preachers and pastors and teachers, um, we don't really, call things out the way they really should be called out. And, and what's, what's odd to me, just, just an observation, is the pastors that are um, saying, well, we just don't wanna offend anybody lest they leave the church. And what they're doing is they're not offending anybody and everybody's leaving their church. 
Um, that's what's happening. Uh, the, the churches that are talking about what the Bible actually teaches and, and covering the word of God in its entirety, uh, those are the churches that are flourishing right now in this dark days we're living. Um, and so I think it's kind of an important thing for us to not only think of our churches in that way, but also your own walk as a Christian. Are you willing to speak out the truth, even if it hurts, even if it costs you? You know, it cost John the Baptist when he said, you viper, you know, you brood of vipers, when he said this to the, the Pharisees, they put him in prison and he's about to be beheaded. It cost John the Baptist to be bold. And ultimately, in some ways, you could say it's gonna cost Jesus, not really because of this as much. We know Jesus died willingly for the sins of the world, but don't be surprised when you speak boldly if it'll cost you. Well, I don't want, I don't want to do that, Brad. I don't want to get in trouble or lose my job. I, I think it's time. Um, you know, uh, what happened in Nazi Germany back in the, the Adolf Hitler era? How did the, the Christian church, Germany was full, filled with Christians. How did the Christian church not see what was going on? Well, it was like the old frog in the water, uh, you know, scenario where, where it just slowly got weirder and weirder and there were Christians going, well, I know that's kind of wacko, but you know, I'm sure it'll iron out. And everybody just kind of quietly sat by and not, didn't say anything. And they just kind of mind, would mind their own business as long as it's not affecting me personally, you know, and it just went on and on to where, you know, Germany did one of the most horrendous things in modern history. And they all stood by and watched. And, and even, you know, some would say, if you were silent, you were really participating in the Holocaust and, and all the, Nazi represent, the Nazis represented. Um, and so I, I do worry that, um, you know, we've become a church in, in, Amer in America and really around the world, sermonettes for Christianettes. Uh, we've become a very weak little uh, group of people that sort of, oh yeah, I believe in God, and, and, but, but as long as it doesn't ruffle my feathers or make my job awkward or, you know, <clears throat> and we, we only say things that are easy and we, we will jump on things that are easy, but we won't actually be willing to stand up for what is true. And sometimes speaking truth will make you unpopular, um, but that's part of the deal. Now, all that to say, Jesus is not afraid to speak truth. And I think we should probably take a, a lesson from Jesus here in, in some ways. Now, um, Jesus was perfect, we're not. So one of the things you and I have to be careful of is speaking the truth in love. Uh, that's, that's something we should really focus on because Jesus knew how to do that perfectly. Uh, we don't, so you gotta be extra careful on that one. But um, interesting, he says something here that's a, a great life lesson here in verse 34. He says, um, you know, you guys eat are evil, so you can't speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What an interesting thing to say. Have you ever been, uh, you know, going along in your life and then you um, wrap your knuckles uh, as you're turning the wrench and all of a sudden you cussed? Uh, and you're like, where did that come from? The answer, your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, have you ever just said something? You're like, I can't believe I said that. We'll believe it. It came from your heart. And you can try to hide that. And, and a lot of us are really good at hiding, you know, what's in our heart, really. We won't really say what's in our heart until you, you get hot or angry or uptight. And then suddenly you start saying stuff. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? I can't believe I said that. And the answer came from your heart. Remember your heart, Jeremiah 79, is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Um, you know, our hearts give us away. Uh, Proverbs 15, seven reminds us, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, 
but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. Uh, and by the way, this is, there's a connection to blasphemy. It's also a condition of the heart. When a person is, is committing that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it, it's not just coming from an intellectual, mental level. It's coming from a heart, solical kind of level. Um, and so um, there's, there's some things we have to kind of think about in your own walk, in your own life. How many words that you speak are uplifting and encouraging versus insulting and demoralizing? Um, the words we say is often an indication of where your heart is really at. Um, I love that old saying, Christians are like tea bags. You're not sure what flavor they are until you put them in hot water. <laughs> and some of you might say, uh, yeah, I, I, I cover things up pretty good, but what happens when you get put in hot water, when you're in trouble? What, what comes out of your mouth? Because that often is uh, what comes from the heart. It was old J. Vernon McGee. I love that, that through the Bible teacher uh, from a previous generation. He says, what is in the well of the heart will come up through the bucket of the mouth. Uh, and that is, that is a true statement. Um, your words and actions are a heart issue. <clears throat> now, by the way, psychology often looks at these kinds of things <clears throat> as a study of the mind only, the psyche, the mind um, but it often, psychology, where it falls really short, in my opinion, is, is the actual heart issues. Um, you might say a soul or even the spirit of man. Psychology doesn't really know how to deal with the spiritual side of humanity. Uh, and so, you know, there's different types of counseling and therapy, and, and, and some of it can be good, counseling, therapy, some of it. But um, can I just say, don't forget that it's not better than the Bible, if you're getting counseling that is contrary to what the Bible says, you need to probably get a different counselor. Uh, just, just a heads up on that. Um, you know, I've seen God work miraculously in people's lives through biblical counseling. And oftentimes uh, it doesn't always uh, line up with secular uh, psychological type counseling. Um, and God can change things that, that therapy cannot, um, as it turns out. And this is something I, I feel like we have to be really careful of because the Lord, he says, I'm the expert on your human psyche and your soul. Um, and the world says, no, uh, we're the experts on your soul. And you know, what are we doing to our culture? Well, most of it ends up with some kind of um, you know, drug that'll help level you off a little bit. That's where a lot of the counseling tends to go. And we're one of the most over-medicated societies. We are the most over-medicated society in the history of the world. Um, and it's a kind of a scary thing if you really know the math and the numbers behind all this stuff that's going on. But, um, but the Bible kind of gives us a different perspective. I love Philippians 4, 7. I mean, this is one of those let God be true and every man a liar scriptures. Um, the, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a promise of God. Um, peace of God. Um, notice there's a couple key phrases here that I'd like to kind of think about here. The peace of God, um, it's, it's, it's God's peace. Um, and so the point is it can only come from him. It cannot come from a drug or a psychotherapist. This is the peace that comes from God and the peace of God, which then passes all understanding uh, or surpasses uh, some of your uh, scriptures uh, translations, but it surpasses all understanding. There's a couple Greek words here that you, you wanna know about. First of all, surpass, and then understanding. Um, the, 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 or passeth, or surpass. Um, the Greek word for surpass is huperecho. 
uh, in the Greek, which means to hold over one, to be superior in rank, better than, or to surpass. So you have to understand the peace of God is better than all the other kinds of pseudo peace. That's, uh, that's what the scripture is claiming, superior peace. The world gives you a peace. Jesus says, not as the world gives, give I thee. Peace give I to you. Jesus gives you a whole nother level of peace. If you wanna believe it, uh, it's there for the taking. Uh, and that's a great word. Uh, Hooper echo is, is, is the Greek word, but then surpasses all understanding. The word understanding is the Greek word uh, nous. Uh, means the mind, intellectual, faculty, thoughts, feelings, purposes, and desires. So basically, true peace that comes from God can't be you know, fabricated by man and his intellect. That's something we need to understand, church family. Uh, the, the world pushes their intellect on us all the time. And does anybody kind of get a sense we're not as smart as we think we are? Man, as we look at the world today, I mean, even stuff that I kind of bought into, hook, line, and sinker, maybe 10 years ago, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know, man. I think we're a lot dumber than we think we are. You know, we're just really dumb. Uh, humanity is not very smart. Good news, the peace that passes understanding surpasses. It's superior to the understanding of the world. Noose, that word, uh, is such a cool thing. So um, the, the, the peace of God is way better than anything that can be intellectually fabricated by humanity. Um, by the way, this is what I love. If you, if you look at Jesus and the way he dealt with people, uh, he didn't put them, uh, you know, a counselor's couch and lay them out and get into their deep past and talk about their, you know, mother wound or whatever uh, church hurt or whatever things that they were all, you know. Jesus just spoke short, short little words of power and authority into people's lives. Um, I think that's kind of important to understand. I mean, one of the longest conversations Jesus had was with the woman at the well. You know, what an amazing story there in John 4. Um, and uh, what a great story, this, this woman who was quite in trouble and, uh, uh, you know, a woman in, in a bad reputation and, and uh, all kinds of trouble. Uh, but Jesus just, you know, if you, if you casually read that story, it took like less than five minutes to, you know, actually hear what Jesus had to say. And she ran into town saying, man, I met a man who told me everything, all things that I've done. Now this cracks me up because when she goes into town and says, I, I met a man who told me everything, he knows everything I've ever done. She was probably a prostitute. Can you imagine the men in town going, everything? Uh, Jesus, this guy told you everything that you've ever done? Uh, let's go out and see this, this one who's out by the well. Uh, and they all came out, you know, and, and this woman actually goes and starts spreading the gospel of Jesus just in a short little uh, interaction with Jesus. And Jesus was the one she was looking for. Um, and he talked to her about that. I'm the one. When you drink of the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. Um, and that's really what we need to acknowledge. Um, are you agreeing or rejecting Jesus in your life? Um, you know, I, I know that there's, there's the level of salvation versus the um, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that on Sunday. But I wonder if there's even a, a smaller level of that where maybe we have accepted Christ as our savior and we're going to heaven, praise the Lord by his grace through faith. But maybe we still don't accept all of the things Jesus promises and tells us. And, um, and I think you'll know that by your fruit in your life. 
If you're grouchy and if there's bad, evil, ugly stuff coming from the, uh, the heart through the bucket of the mouth, um, it, maybe there's evidence that you're not really at peace and maybe not tapping into the power and the blessing that the Lord has for us. Um, Jesus says some pretty powerful stuff here when he talks about for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a huge deal right there. And so just a reminder, you can say, well, Brett, I don't agree with that. I've had classes in psychology, so I'm way smarter. Let God be true, Romans 3, 4, and every man a liar. This is the way I look at the Bible. Uh, I just trust the Bible. Um, counseling, therapy can be good as long as Jesus is always the answer. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> counseling and therapy can be good as long as Jesus, well, Brett, it's more, it's more involved than that. Nope, there's, there's a peace that surpasses the intellectual of Sigmund Fro the fraud. I mean, Sigmund Freud. Um, there's a peace that's better than that. Uh, and so Jesus is saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Uh, you know, Solomon writes a similar thing that Jesus is talking about. That the, the heart is the dead giveaway of where a person's at. And you'll know what's coming out of your heart when life gets tough. And that's when you have to kind of check uh, some people say, well, I need to watch my mouth. And I would say, nope, you need to watch your heart because that is the source from where those uh, concerning words and attitudes are coming from. By the way, um, the next thing Jesus is gonna go into here is about the con not only the content, but the quantity of your words. Um, Harvard and Google estimate that uh, um, there are 1.02 million words um, that includes different forms, slang, old-fashioned, all that stuff, 1.2. The Oxford Dictionary, the second edition, has 600, around 600,000 words, but the average um, native-speaking adult speaks 20 to 30,000 words. That's how many you have in your vocabulary, if you're average. Um, and so um, one, of, one of the things we have to kind of watch out for is this thing where we, we spend so much time talking, we give away... Um, are, are, that we're really, our hearts are corrupt. Um, sometimes it'd be better to not say anything. It's like the old saying, better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, that's that's kind of true. Uh, so we pick it up here in verse 35, where it says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Ooh. Does that scare anybody? Now I, I can give you uh, some good words of comfort. Because um, there's, some, there's some operative things here that we're talking about here that I think are, are important. First of all, this, this idea of idle words. What are idle words? Again, not to be overly into the Greek, but I love the colorful language of the Greek. And it gives us all kinds of you know, little tidbits of sort of the, the sense of the word that's being used. So when Jesus uses the word idle, the Greek word is um, argos, which means um, free from labor, at leisure, lazy, shunning the labor which one ought to perform. 
<laughs> so, so that's kind of an interesting word. What, what is a lazy word? Words that you just kind of said, but you didn't think much about, or, or words that you're saying during times where you're not really thinking about what you're saying and you don't really care. And so you just kind of start speaking and saying stuff. Have you ever done stuff like that where you just don't stop talking and you wish you'd be quiet? You're like, why am I still talking? It happens to me all the time up here in front of the front. Um, it's tricky when you're a Bible teacher, but, uh, but it's funny how there's so many people that like to say so many uh, words. I found this was interesting. This is kind of a, a funny little deal. Did you know our Supreme Court justices, did you know they record um, how many words each one of them uh, speak? Uh, in the first eight uh, arguments of this most recent um, you know, season of, of the Supreme Court justice. Um, I thought, thought this was interesting. Um, Kentanji Brown Jackson, the new one, she's new. Remember, she's the one that didn't know the definition of a woman. Remember that? When they asked her when she was in the hearings, do you know the definition? No, I don't know. I'm not a biologist, she said. But she sure has a lot of other words to say. Um, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you know, it's, it's just funny uh, that, that this, this made um, New York Times because um, this new Supreme Court justice, she's just kind of a chatterbox. She just kind of just keeps talking. Uh, and uh, all the other Supreme Courts, and Clarence Thomas is 96 words. Uh, I think that's, that's just kind of funny to me. I, I like that guy somehow. Uh, that, that's awesome. Uh, man, a few words. But I bet when he talks, people listen. Uh, uh, especially as enemies, but be that as it may. Um, this idea of, of idle words, uh, we have to be careful uh, about idle words. Now, what are idle words? Words that you just kind of speak lazily and not really thinking about that much. Um, could it be a little bit what the Ten Commandments is talking about there in Exodus 20? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I, I think sometimes... People always think of taking the Lord's name in vain as cussing and swearing, which it could be if you're using the name of the Lord in a cussing context, of course. And you shouldn't do that, by the way. Um, in fact, I'm, I, call me a legalist or whatever. I, I personally, I wouldn't even use the acronym OMG uh, as uh, so many teenage girls do uh, uh, for everything and their Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, you, don't, you don't say OMG. Well, Brett, I'm not really saying it. Now you're playing games. We all know what it means. It's what people think when you, when you say it. Uh, but I wonder if those are taking, like, what if, what if somebody says, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, oh my God, in a sense of like, it's a, a term of astonishment. I think that's an idle word that you're gonna hold, be held accountable for. It's called sin, missing the mark. Um, so I wouldn't use those terms, uh, you know, OMG or whatever. Um, you know, so I don't think it's just cussing. In fact, here, I'll take it even a step further. What about some of our Pentecostal brothers who just say, praise God every 10 seconds? Uh, I went on a youth trip once, Tad and I joined up with another uh, youth group years and years ago. And uh, it was Assembly of God uh, youth group with our youth group. And uh, our, our kids just sat there watching because all their youth leaders would go around and they'd say, praise God about everything. They'd say, um, oh man, somebody burnt the toast, praise God. Somebody, oh, we got a flat tower on the bus, praise God. Praise God, praise God. And they just said it every other sentence. It was like, praise God, praise God. And, and um, my kids came up and said, Brad, it feels like that's just wrong. And I said, it is because they're just flippantly saying, praise God, and, and you definitely get a sense they don't really mean it anymore. Maybe they meant it the first three or 400 times they said it, 
But eventually it starts to lose its sort of power and it starts to be kind of used in sort of an idle way. I'm not pro walking around saying, praise God, you know, every 10 seconds uh, because I think it loses um, its its weight. Speaking in vain, you know, it's, it's, it's basically using your words in a worthless kind of way. And isn't it interesting that it says that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. Now that's pretty scary. Uh, and you think, how many idle words have I said? And I'm gonna have to give account for, well, good news. I, I love that Jesus put the last part of this in here, there in, in Matthew uh, 12, 37. For he says, for by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Again, think about the context that we're talking here. Jesus was talking about blasphemy, that's to speak against of the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees in the first part of the chapter were speaking against Jesus, saying he does this by the power of Beelzebub. That was a word that they spoke, and that was word that would be held against them at the time of judgment. Thus, they'll be judged for those words. And the reason their words were so egregious, they were rejecting Jesus with those words. That's why it's the unpardonable sin. Are you guys with me on this? So, so what verse 37 just only confirms that. It's saying these guys saying, you're doing this by the work of the devil, Jesus. Those words are gonna condemn them in judgment. Um, that's why it's the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. But good news, that first part of verse 37, but by thy words thou shalt be justified. Do you remember us talking about this on this weekend service? We talked about this, there's some really um, important uh, words uh, that are used um, uh, that that lead to salvation. Um, But you gotta bring in those words that are leading to death. And even, I I just wouldn't even, I wouldn't even play around with OMG. Um, Speaking of teenage girls, sorry if you're a teenage girl here. Um, But I saw this, this this article's kind of funny. Obituaries for teenage girls if they actually died when they said they're dying. And here's a few of my favorites. Um, Liana Brainer, uh, age 15, lived a healthy life until she made the fatal decision of watching a video of a puppy splashing in a puddle. She clung to religion until the very end, crying out to God via the YouTube comment section, typing, OMG, OMG, in the interest of time. But it was too late, she was dying, dying, OMG, and then proclaimed dead. Here's another girl that uh, if, 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 if she said she was really dying, if, um, this is Emma Arlene Phillips, age 15, passed away when she saw Taylor Swift exiting the neighborhood gym. She died three times before realizing that the woman was not, in fact, Taylor Swift, whereas she died once more. <laughs> you know, I died three times. Uh, uh, but anyway, I thought that was funny. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, those are idle words. Uh, we, we like to say stuff. That's just, that's just human nature. We all do it, not just teenage girls. I do it. So we have to put, put our vain and idle words away, especially the ones that per, per, pertain to the Lord um, and, and what have you. So are you justified or condemned by your words? Uh, the only way you'll be justified by your words if you speak the words of life. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. we showed this on Sunday. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Interesting, fruit, we're talking about that with Jesus and the words we say in Matthew 12. But then of course, the scripture we always show is the, by the, the word, confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved. Um, see, that's, that's that confession with the mouth where Jesus is saying you can be justified by the words that you speak or you can be condemned. It's up to you. 
So when you confess Jesus, uh, that he died on the cross and rose from the grave, it's with those words you can be justified. What does the word justified mean? It's a great doctrine of the Bible. Jesus uses it here in verse 37. It means just as if you'd never sinned at all. Uh, man, how thankful I am for the great and beautiful doctrine of justification. Uh, you know, um, that's, that's the reason, the re justification is the reason that if you stand at the gates of heaven and the Lord says to you, enter in thou good and faithful servant, You'll be thinking, but I said a lot of bad things and I did a lot of bad things. But through, because of the justification of, of, of what Jesus does, just as if you'd never sinned, he'll say, enter in thou good and faithful uh, servant. Did God forget all that stuff? The answer is yes. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Um, boy, without that forgiveness right there, you and I'd be condemned for the words we speak. But good news, when we confess Christ and confess our sins, he will forgive us. Um, so um, it's interesting because uh, good news for the believer, for the Christian, the Lord washes away your sins. But if you're still in your sins, unsaved, every idle word will be, you'll be held account, accountable for. I wonder if there's stuff you forget. You say, have you, ever, have you ever noticed in this modern day of you know, sending off a tweet or social media, have you noticed how many people, they'll send something off and then they'll, they'll erase it and try to take it off, but by that time it's too late. You know, Kanye, too late. Uh, you know, like it's so sad seeing what's happening there. Like, um, you know, and people tweet stuff and, and, and then people misunderstand and then the whole thing lights up. You know, even after deleting, uh, there's still screenshots everywhere. Good news, God doesn't do that. He deletes all your sins and, uh, and uh, good, bad, and ugly, um, we get a clean slate before God. Man, I love that. Well, that goes to verse 38. It says in verse 38, then certain of the scribes and, the, and of the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Um, now, is this a little bit wacko to ask this? So far, they've seen him heal the man with withered hand, cleanse the leper, take a demon-possessed guy who was blind and couldn't speak and healed him. And now they're asking for a sign. So, so what are they really up to? That's the question I ask. They've already seen a bunch of signs. Um, but they're, this is part of their plan of, of, of trying to trick Jesus. And, and one of the things you learn when you, when you read the Bible is that nobody ever really believes by signs and wonders. Um, that's kind of an important, important thing. Um, you know, they, they, um, they, they were looking for a sign. Verse 39, but Jesus, he answered and said unto them, an evil an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Hmm, what in the world is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Um, well, would you keep your finger here and flip over to John chapter 20? John chapter 20. And I think this will kind of answer Jesus' own reference here. In John chapter 20, we just looked at this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Holy Spirit is in you. Remember, the Holy Spirit's with you and he shall be in you. And Jesus just breathed on the disciples and they, the Holy Spirit was in them. But then notice verse 24, there in John chapter 20, verse 24. 
It says there, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Uh, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them, then came Jesus from the doors being shut and stood in the midst saying, peace be unto you. And then um, he, saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And then it says in verse 29, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet believed. Um, this, is, this is the thing about seeing versus believing. These Pharisees wanted to see a sign, the scribes and the Pharisees. But Jesus puts on a higher level those that just believe without seeing. Uh, if I can see it, I believe it. But in seeing, it seems like it never really produces good, solid, healthy faith. Um, you know, um, miracles do not produce faith. Um, what's the best source of real faith, anybody? The word of God. Uh, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's, that's what, why it's so good you're here or watching with us online tonight because this, this helps us to build up our faith. The more you read the Bible, the more you realize, wow, the word is true and it sets, it gets seated into your heart. But um, it's interesting. There's a couple things here, by the way, speaking of idle words and what have you. Did you notice in verse 24, you know, Thomas says, unless I see it, I'm, I can't believe it. But Jesus then appears in front of Thomas and he knows what Thomas said. Did you notice that? Uh, nobody said, Peter didn't run up. Hey, did you hear what Thomas said, Jesus? Um, no, that's not what happened. Jesus just knew what he said. And just like Jesus knows what you're saying, does that make you a little nervous? When you're doubting in your heart, I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus sees that, he hears that because Jesus is God. And by the way, this, this uh, passage confirms that Jesus is God because in verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, if, if, if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, um, you know, then would Jesus have said, yeah, don't call me that if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh. That's kind of an important thing. And he says, my Lord and my God. And, uh, and then Jesus answered him. Um, by the way, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, they believe in an entirely different Jesus than the one we believe in. They'll try to say, well, the Mormons particularly will try to say it's the same Jesus. But, um, and, and they'll, they'll you know, argue tooth and nail. No, it's the same Jesus. We're just like you guys. But it's just not. And, and I, I've, even last week, I gave some references uh, and if you read the doctrines and the covenants and some of the Mormon writings and Brigham Young and you know, Joseph Smith, they did not believe Jesus was God in the flesh. Some of the newer Mormons today try to just, oh yeah, yeah, we, we do, we do believe that, but they really don't. Uh, don't, just, don't just take my word for it. If you're a Mormon and you're saying, Brett, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I've read the doctrines and covenants. There's, there, it's very easy to find the various uh, doctrines of the Mormon faith. Um, but, but it's true, you know, the, 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 the Islamic faith, they, they say Jesus was just a, a prophet that was less than the prophet Muhammad. Um, and he was not begotten. He was not even the son of God in the Islamic faith, let alone being God. Um, so all that to say, um, that's kind of important here. We see Jesus 
being declared as God by Thomas, and he acknowledges that uh, with Thomas right there. But there in verse 29 through 31 in John, it says, you know, that, um, you know, signs and wonders, there's, there's many people that want to see signs and wonderings, wonders, um, but it rarely really leads people to true salvation. Um, you know, it's interesting, Mark, Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 17 says, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. So the church and the disciples, when they, when they follow Jesus, there would be signs that would follow, uh, follow them that believe. There are miracles that we even see today. But here's the problem. When the church gets it backwards and, and they start chasing after signs and wonders, um, there, are, there are whole churches and denominations that tend to kind of follow after the signs and wonders. That's always, you're getting it backwards. We're to live our lives serving Christ and signs and wonders will follow them that believe. That's the operative word. They'll follow them that believe. We shouldn't be following after signs and wonders because it's a perverse generation that tends to seek after the signs and wonders. And Jesus said in verse 29 here, blessed are they that have not seen yet still believe. And if you're saying, Brett, I've never seen a miracle. Well, maybe you haven't. Maybe you have. I think a lot of us have seen miracles and then we forgot about them. Have you ever noticed that? It's funny, human nature, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was kind of a miracle. Um, that's why journaling is so cool. Have you ever uh, been one who writes down things that you've been praying about? And um, you know, writing your prayers in journal, there, there's something about that that can be really cool because you can go back 10 years later, look at your old journals and you go, wow, look what the Lord has done. He's answered every single one of my prayers uh, more than I would have imagined. And I think sometimes we forget the miracles that we actually have seen in our lives. But even if you haven't seen miracles, it's better to believe without seeing. That's what Jesus says. So back to Matthew chapter 12, um, that's kind of what's going on. Um, now, what, what sign will Jesus give these guys? Well, it's kind of interesting. He says the sign that they will get is that of Jonah. And the only way they're gonna be able to see this sign is to murder Jesus. Uh, look at verse 40, it goes on. For as Jonah, by the way, Jonas uh, is uh, not one of the brothers. Um, uh, this is uh, Jonah uh, from the Jonah and the whale story or the big fish story. That's just the Greek form of the word. For verse 44, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Who's the greater than Jonah? Jesus. And these men of Nineveh are gonna rise up in judgment? What's, what's this all about? Um, you know, it's interesting because um, if you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah the prophet, uh, like even, you know, for us to say, for Jesus to say, a greater than Jonah is here, we're like, yeah, Jonah was a total loser. Uh, but the Jews didn't look at Jonah like that. They looked at his, him as a very successful prophet who turned, you know, he went and did this kind of half-hearted preaching, you know, repent or die. And everybody repented, the whole city. And, and then remember Jonah went out and pouted because the city repented? Like it's, it's really kind of a pathetic story, uh, Jonah, the prophet. But, but the Jews esteemed Jonah as one of the, the prophets, as he was, but he was kind of, I mean, I, I like Jeremiah, even though nobody listened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was this passionate, 
guy who did all these amazing things and, and yet people didn't listen to him. Everybody listened to Jonah, but he was kind of a loser prophet. But Jesus says, but a greater than Jonah is here. What's this thing about Jonah being in the belly of the whale and what does it have to do with Jesus? Well, this is Jesus speaking about his death and burial and resurrection. And, um, and it's kind of interesting because we, we see this same kind of notion um, in, in other places, uh, you know, in the gospels. Um, you know, like, in, you know, right before the, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Um, you know, you can jot this down in, in your notes. John chapter three um, talks about this, um, you know, in the same way. Um, where uh, it says in, in John three fourteen, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. Um, what's that all about? Why, why all these Old Testament stories, Moses lifting the brass serpent, remember the people were bitten and they were dying, but if they looked at the serpent on the pole, like why are these Old Testament stories, Jesus saying, this is pretty much me. The answer, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. All these Old Testament stories are about Jesus. That's why, <laughs> and I speak uh, in retrospect, we had such a good time going through the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus, that's a tough gig right there. Good luck reading the whole, the whole Bible because it's hard. But when you see that Jesus is embedded throughout all the scriptures, it's, it's amazing. So what does Jonah have to do with Jesus? Well, Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. Let's compare just, just for fun, uh, do a quick comparison as Jonah being a type of Jesus. And when, when was Jonah a type of Jesus? Well, notice with me the first thing, Jonah preached judgment. Jesus preached grace and mercy. Jonah was disobedient to the Lord, but Jesus was perfectly obedient. Uh, Jonah had one city to preach to. Jesus would preach ultimately to the whole world. Jonah was in the fish because of his sin. Jesus would die and be buried in the tomb for everyone else's sin. Um, kind of interesting. Like, like so, so, so there's a great difference between Jesus and Jonah. But what's this whole thing about Jesus saying, um, even as jo jo Jonah was in the belly's well, so shall the th son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, this is where um, we get into some interesting things about uh, Jesus and what, uh, what he did. Um, uh, before we get into that, the, the comparison of Nineveh, um, what's worse? Um, Nineveh, this horrible group of people that were violent and horrible, but they got saved. Or even what's worse, Sodom and Gomorrah, because they never did repent and the Lord destroyed that city. Or what's worse, Nineveh, Sodom and Gomorrah, or Portland? You see, Portland, the Lord, he, you know, he says, I'm gonna rise up in judgment, you know, and he does, and he rose up in judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. But you, you kind of hear that uh, throughout the Bible. In fact, do you remember um, we, we read about some of these other cities, Corazon, Corazon, Corazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Um, the Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in judgment against you guys because you've seen me and my miracles, but you've still rejected me. That's kind of important to see that. And so... One of the things we see um, this, uh, in John chapter two, Jesus said, he answered them and said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But this, uh, he spake of the, the temple of his body. And this is what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew as well, as, as far as Jonah being in the belly of the whale. 
for three days and three nights, so too Jesus would be in the center of the earth. Question, quiz time. What was Jesus doing in the center of the earth? Anybody? This is where a lot of people get confused, but uh, real fast, I'm gonna, you know, remember there was, there was a place called Abraham's bosom. And when you died in Old Testament days, whether you were a believer or an unbeliever, you'd go to Abraham's bosom, but there were two sides. There was paradise and there was Hades. And remember, if you don't believe me, just look in Luke chapter 16. Jesus talks about this. Remember the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man goes to the Hades side and Lazarus goes to the Abraham's bosom side. But um, if, you, if you'd recall, um, there, there Jesus went down and he preached. Uh, boy, we can get into what this is about, but he wasn't preaching to salvation, but to condemnation to the demons. And there's scriptures about that. Um, this is where we kind of get this. Ephesians, jot this down. Ephesians 4, verses eight through 10. Wherefore he saith, he, when he ascended up on high, that's Jesus's ascension. He, what did he do? He led captivity, those who were in captivity, captive. That's a fancy King James way of saying, set the captives free and gave gifts unto men. And then there's a parenthetical explanation. Now he that ascended, what is it? But he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fulfill all things. So what happened? Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was buried, but he went to that part called Abraham's bosom, preached to the demons, but he also set the people that were believers in the paradise side. Remember uh, when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he said to the thief on the cross. So Jesus and the thief on the cross, they would go down to that paradise place and then Jesus would lead captivity captive. And I believe that means he set the paradise side free and took them up into what we would call heaven. Uh, today, uh, and that's even kind of clumsy way of saying it, but um, but uh, for sake of time tonight, um, I believe the paradise side of Abraham's bosom is now retired. Um, but as it turns out, uh, Hades and Sheol, the death in the grave uh, and hell, is still operational. When, by the way, when will those in Hades, uh, as as Luke seventeen, pardon me, Luke sixteen says, when will that part be retired? Anybody? Yes, I think I heard people say the great white throne judgment. Remember, well, they're gonna take, the Lord's gonna take all those that were the dead um, that rejected the Lord and they'll stand before the Lord in the great white throne judgment. And then death and hell, Hades and Sheol will be thrown into Gehenna, which is the ultimate place, what we would call uh, hell. So um, it gets a little confusing here, but this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, this is the sign that I'll show you. And, and he's talking about the sign of Jonah and the whale because the, the, the ultimate sign is actually that Jesus would die, be buried in the tomb. Three days later, he would raise up from the grave. Um, and that's kind of the main issue there. So I don't wanna get too bogged down on the Jonah part, but that's, the, that's the, when you and I read the story of Jonah, the, the part where Jonah goes in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights, that's, that's what Jesus would do in the, if you would, from the tomb and what he did there in, in uh, paradise and where he would lead captivity captive. Uh, and that would be the sign, his resurrection. The greatest sign that Jesus would give to us, the, the only real sign worth mentioning because Jesus said, this is the one sign that matters is I will raise up from the grave. Uh, the, did the miracle of the resurrection prove anything? Yes. First Corinthians, I uh, like what Paul says here in First Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're almost, of all men, most miserable. 
but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Because Jesus rose from the grave, he's the first fruit of the resurrection. We're the next fruits. All of us believers get to be resurrected to eternal life because Jesus rose from the grave. By the way, you know, around Resurrection Sunday, we always like to talk about proof of the resurrection. And I just love how there's no greater fortified historical event that happened. You know, it's funny how the critics try to act like, well, we don't really even know if Jesus of Nazareth really existed. Um, while those people say that, they're just not being honest. There's, there's not one single moment in history that is more verified and eyewitness accounts and writings of, of ancient people who saw Jesus after he rose from the grave. And the evidence is overwhelming. We have an avalanche of evidence historically, more than any other event I could say uh, in ancient history. Um, than that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, um, back in the old days, Professor Thomas Arnold, who was a historical scholar back in the day, he wrote this. He said, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times, to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which has proved better and fuller uh, evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer that the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. I love that. Uh, Brooke Foss Westcott, maybe you recognize that from textbooks from uh, uh, when you were kids, us older people. Um, he wrote this, ranking all the evidence together, is it, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the antecedent assumption that it must be false could have suggested the idea of deficiency in the proof of it. In other words, you almost have to start with this crazy bias of saying, well, it didn't happen uh, to try to even get to where you're even attempting to prove that it never happened. Um, the resurrection was something that happened absolutely and how thankful. And we could talk about that. We, remember I talked about the swooning theory a few weeks ago. They believe Jesus just felt so much better after three days being in the tomb. And he rolled the, you know, there's other theories, the disciple deception theory where the disciples stole the body. Uh, that's ridiculous. If, if the disciples stole the body and, and kind of did a trick on humanity and said, Jesus rose from the grave, um, would they have all been willing to die brutally for that little trick that they were playing on humanity. Like again, history supports the narrative of the Bible and Jesus in his resurrection more than any single uh, claim throughout all of history. So Jesus' claim three days later, he would raise up from the dead. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why I don't believe Good Friday was on Good Friday. Those of you that are coming from Catholic tradition or more of the... Um, you know, traditional practices. Uh, Jesus rose on Sunday. If you do the math from Friday to Sunday, is that three days and three nights? Like Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. I, I have a little problem with that. Um, so uh, Brett, why don't you guys celebrate Good Friday here? Uh, I have, we have done that. I love celebrating Good Friday. Only we know it's probably not Friday at all. Um, well, what day was it on? Well, we could argue uh, Thursday or even Wednesday. There's actually a scholarly argument that it was uh, technically Wednesday. And if you take account for the Sabbaths and the Passovers, there's all kinds of stuff we could talk about there. But the, the, the point is, don't forget this idiot or this little story uh, sort of as an idiom uh, that Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, even as Jesus would be in the tomb, which is kind of interesting to say the least. Now, 
He refers to Jonah from the Old Testament. Now he's gonna refer to the Queen of Sheba. Huh? Who? Well, do you guys remember the Queen of Sheba? Who, who talked to the Queen of Sheba? Solomon. Let's check it out. It says here in verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So he goes from the you know, Nineveh and Jonah example to here's this lady who came from you know, um, so far away to see Solomon. And interesting, Solomon must have spoke about the truths of God to the queen of Sheba. And she, this is something we don't really get from the Old Testament. She went away as, as probably a believer. We, I think we're gonna see the, the queen of Sheba in heaven because of Solomon's little chat with her. And, and that's why Jesus says, even she goes away without seeing the Messiah and she still believes. And there's somebody better than a Solomon here and you guys are rejecting that. That's the point. These Pharisees and scribes, they're being held to a standard because there were people in history that believed like Nineveh, the Ninevites believed, the queen of Sheba believed, but you're the Pharisees of the Jews and you don't even believe. And Jesus is saying, this is gonna condemn you. This is why the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that you guys, the Pharisees and scribes are committing is so dastardly and so bad. So it's referring to that first Kings chapter 10 story of the queen of Sheba and that um, basically even she was gonna condemn. Just like uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24, when Jesus said, Sodom and Gomorrah is gonna rise up in judgment. Tyre and Zidon, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, these are all um, you know, places that will be judged because they rejected Jesus the Messiah. Question, you might say, well, those Pharisees are bad because Jesus was right there, but what, what, have, what have we been given? You know, to whom much, much is given, much is required. And I do worry a little bit as, as, you know, the United States, we are a country that have had God's grace so profoundly poured out upon our nation for so long. Oh, we've had our sinful history and all our sinful deeds and stuff, but largely as, a, as a, what was formerly a kind of a Christian nation raised with Christian principles, we've seen some of the most amazing things happen in the world because of uh, this country. Um, Europe used to be like that. They, there used to be a godly version of Europe, but are you seeing how, how they've changed for so long? Do you know in England today, uh, yesterday I should say, did you see their new prime minister, the last gal, she lasted 45 days. A little embarrassing. But truthfully, I wouldn't wanna be her because England's a total mess. The, the, the United Kingdom's a mess. Um, but this new guy um, is a Hindu. Uh, flag-waving, proud, card-carrying Hindu, which just note to yourself, pagan, believes in many gods. Like this is, a, this is a, a, an England with a pagan prime minister, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, and we're seeing the world just kind of get further and further away from the Lord. Meanwhile, America, we seem to be behind, but we're catching up ever so quick to what Europe's been doing. And what have we been given that other generations have not to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and I wonder if there's gonna be a greater condemnation uh, to those who reject Jesus in this nation because we've seen so much. Well, we didn't have Jesus standing right in front of us like those Pharisees and scribes. Oh, but I think in some ways we have Jesus more present than ever because of the Holy Spirit. If you re read the Bible, Jesus says, it's expedient that I leave you because I'm sending my Holy Spirit. 
I think we're gonna be held accountable. And I'm worried, in fact, as you see the rest of this, uh, mark my words, this is something we should be praying for our country uh, when you read the rest of this. Let's, let's finish up this chapter. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. What a scary description, demons in this person. So there's a demon in a guy and the demon is out. And, and demons don't like to be disembodied, it seems, in the Bible. Remember the demon said, don't cast us out, but there's a bunch of pigs. Put us in the pigs. Okay, oink, oink. And they go off into the Sea of Galilee. Remember the story? But Jesus is using this thing where demons don't want to be disembodied. So the guy leaves and the guy cleans up his house, his, his body, and gets it all, it says here, uh, swept clean and, and garnished. Man, he's dialed in. And then the demon comes back into that guy with seven other demons that are worse than the first one. Um, and the state of that man is worse than before. Even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. You see, Jesus is saying a generation of people can sort of have the guise of cleanness. You know, religion, man, we're gonna be clean. And I, I worry, is the United States at that place where we're God bless America? And a lot of people in America think they're Christians because they were born here. God bless the good old USA. But are we, are we those people Jesus talks about where he says, um, you know, they say, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Is the United States even prophesying or casting out demons? They're not even doing that. But we're saying, God bless America. You know, God, we trust, even though we don't. And, and it makes you wonder, uh, the demons that were cast out, perhaps, in our nation, let's just say back in the, uh, you know, days of Jonathan Edwards or, you know, the Enlightenment, when, when we kind of had this repentance and a revival. We've had several revivals in our country that were pretty profound. And we swept out the house of the United States with a lot of our evil and stuff. And we turned to God and we had prayer in schools and we, we, we sought the Lord. But I wonder if we, if we really were transitioned enough to, to say, man, we're gonna be not only you know, cleaned out, but are, have we been regenerated, truly saved? And I worry that the United States, we have this sort of guise of religion but could it be that's why the demons that are entering into our country right now are seven times worse when we're seeing this whole thing of mutilating children, trying to convince children that are in kindergarten and second grade uh, to have parts of their bodies cut off because they, they don't believe they're a boy or a girl. Is, that, that's just kind of the epitome of evil. Um, abortion, epitome of evil. We, we've become some rampant in our destroying the, the unborn baby in a mother's womb. That's just horrifyingly wicked. And the more we just let stuff in, the more I kind of wonder, are, is Jesus talking about us? Because I know he's talking about the Pharisees who had this posture of religion, but Jesus is saying, but you guys are more evil than before. But you have the, the appearance of religion. God forbid. Man, that's why I think these are days where it's time to be bold uh, and speak up about these things that are evil and wicked in our country and share the good news of the gospel. People, they don't need to change their politics. They need to change their whole thing about God. 
People need to be saved. They need to repent of their sins and be saved. If you, you know, a lot of times I've noticed Christians will try to focus on the politics, but that's sweeping out the house. Let's say we're successful with the um, Roe versus Wade thing, or, or we're successful with, you know, this whole gender uh, craziness that we're watching. What if we're successful sweeping that out? If we don't, if we don't do it rightly, we can sweep all that out and then a, a you know, demon seven times worse will come back in. You've got to see people saved. That's what it's all about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be our number one goal because without regeneration, there's really no salvation. And I think things can just get worse. Could that be what we're seeing in America today? Is that seven times worse? It feels like it to me, if you ask me. But anyway, we go on, verse 46. But while he yet talked to the people, so he's, that means he's interrupted. Behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. Now check out this, verse 48. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? Um, now, um, you know, you say, Brett, this is so disrespectful to, to his mom. But you have to understand, Jesus, uh, he's not being disrespectful as much as he's saying something that's really true. And here's where he speaks it out, verse 49. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brother, brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus is separating from his earthly, you know, the, the, the perceived mother um, and the perceived, uh, you know, this is his brothers and his family. When Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not just limited to that. I'm actually, <clears throat> um, my mother and brothers, the church family, the, the disciples. Um, it's a much bigger deal. Jesus wasn't being dis disrespectful to his mother. He's actually, um, he's actually uh, setting a precedent um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Catholics, uh, you know, have, have put Mary as the queen mother of heaven uh, and they put her, you know, a little too, too much, uh, I think, worshipful uh, attitude. And in fact, some sects of the Catholic church even deify, they use that word, deify uh, Mary. And uh, that's a big mistake. First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse five says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men and it's the man, Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Um, I hope you understand that. It's not Mary who's mediating or the saints. We don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to Mary. Um, the, the Bible's clear on this. Um, so um, wonder why Mary wanted to talk with Jesus. Um, we don't know. But the speculation by some scholars say, you know, Mary was like, uh, Jesus, you're saying stuff that's gonna get you into trouble. Come on, son, I love you. I don't want you to get in trouble by these, these Pharisees. You're, you call them vipers. Uh, you're calling them out. You're saying, basically, they're gonna go to hell. I wonder if Mary's like, maybe you should tone down your language just a little bit. Uh, but Jesus, we don't know what she was gonna go tell him, but um, he's not dissing. He's, he's showing there's a bigger picture. By the way, when you become a Christian, the Bible kind of says, don't be shocked if your family, your mother, brothers, don't really follow along with you. There, there can be separation between your family. For some, you're like, yeah, thank the Lord. Um, others of you are heartbroken by that. Um, uh, but sometimes your church family can feel more like family than your family's family. You know what I mean? And that's, that's part of what Jesus is saying. 
Um, you know, that there's this, this church family, can be a big family, and we're, as a church, loving one another. I think that's where Jesus is setting this precedent about who he really is. He's not just the guy born in Bethlehem uh, of Joseph and Mary. He's actually part of a bigger movement, uh, part of the kingdom of heaven. So we need to look to Jesus. Uh, so Jesus is shaking things up here with the Pharisees. He's shaking it all up and it's only gonna get worse in chapter 13. So uh, be ready for that. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for uh, this uh, reminder. Lord, we do sense that our nation has lost its way and we've been given so much. Lord, you've been gracious to us. You've blessed us. It seems like in our history, there were times where the churches would ring out with truth and the gospel. People would hear the good news from the pulpits. But Lord, we've reached a place in our, our country's history now where we see a, a real rebellion and only oftentimes a sort of a pseudo Christianity. Um, one that's not really willing to speak truth and to repent of sin or, or even call sin what it is. Lord, we, we worry in some ways that we might be these people who would stand up against Sodom and Gomorrah and, and even give them a run for their money with, with the rampant sins that we've just embraced and we are so prideful about in, in America. Lord, we see ourselves in that same position. And like Daniel, who prayed in the, the book of Daniel chapter nine, he said, oh Lord, we have sinned. Forgive us, he said of our sins, speaking of his whole nation. In the same way, Lord, we, we confess our sins as a nation. Um, Lord, we, we confess that we've lost our way, but, but Lord, should you tarry, I pray that we would let our light shine in this dark world. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing and, and not just try to clean the fish before we catch the fish. Lord, I pray that we would, we would see the gospel reach people's hearts so that then there'd be regeneration and salvation for real. Lord, that we wouldn't just clean the house for seven other demons to come in that are worse. I pray, Lord, that, that our house would truly be cleaned and then filled with the light of life, Lord, that we would not let any darkness at all fill our houses, Lord. So we pray your blessing, um, your covering on each one of the people here now tonight. Um, may we let our light shine before all men, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.